So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech. His wife's name was Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Marlon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to Moab and lived there. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. After they had lived there about ten years, both Marlon and Kilion also died, and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness, as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them goodbye, and they wept aloud, and said to her, We will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, Return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters. It is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. At this, they wept aloud again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. And your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women exclaimed, Can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty 
has brought misfortune upon me. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. I wonder if you've ever wondered why the book of Ruth is in the Bible. Because if you stop and think about it for a second, it's quite strange, isn't it? Maybe you're really familiar with the Bible, maybe you're not, but see, most of the Old Testament covers some really important people and some really extraordinary things. So it covers the history of Israel's founding fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It follows the journey of the Israelite nation into the land of Israel under probably their greatest leader, Moses. It gives them the rules for how they're to live as a nation. It follows the stories of leaders and kings like King David. There are books set aside, written by God's specially appointed prophets who were given specific words from the Lord to speak to the people and to make great promises about what's going to happen in the future. Lots of these books are scattered with various miraculous events. The plagues on the nation of Egypt, infertile women having children, illnesses being cured, the dead being raised to life. And then there's the book of Ruth. A story about a normal family, an ordinary family. No miracles here. Maybe it's a family a bit like yours. A husband, a wife, two sons, and in due course, their wives. So far, so unspectacular. So why is Ruth in our Bibles? Why does God include it? Over the next four weeks, I hope we're going to see the answer to that, that God has a lot to teach us through the book of Ruth. He's going to teach us something of what he's like, and he's going to teach us what he is up to in the normal, ordinary day-to-day of life, and how we're to respond to that. And here's the first thing we're going to see, the big thing for today. We're going to see that God's word calls us to cling to the God of kindness. Cling to the God of kindness. That word kindness is really significant in the book of Ruth. It comes up four, four times in three different places. So it came up twice in our passage, chapter 1, verse 8. Naomi says, May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. In chapter 2, it's used of Boaz, who we'll meet next week. In chapter 3, it's used of Ruth. It's interesting, because this word in the Bible is often reserved for God. Not always, but often. And yet here in Ruth, time and time again, as it appears throughout the book, it's about people and what they're doing. And I think the reason for that is because God often shows his kindness through people. If you want to know what God is doing in the day-to-day and how he is helping you, look at the people around you. God is in the business of showing you kindness, and he does it through people. That word kindness is a word that's pretty tricky to translate, not because we don't know what it means, but because it means so much, it's so rich, it's really hard to bring across to English. In that one word in the original language, It captures the idea of love, faithfulness, mercy, grace, kindness, and loyalty, all in one word. No English word brings all of those ideas together. So it's hard to quite work out how to translate it. Kindness is a pretty good effort. Here's how uh, one author who's able to use more than just one word defines it. Acts of devotion and loving kindness that go beyond the requirements of duty. 
That's what God is in the business of doing. He's in the business of acting in a devoted, lovingly kind way that goes beyond the requirements of duty. And he does it through people. As people act like that towards one another, that is God at work in his people. Time and time again, we see God at work showing kindness, and in the book of Ruth, it happens through people. The God of kindness is at work in the day-to-day through people. The kindness that he shows in the book of Ruth is set against a pretty dark backdrop. So come with me to the first verse of the book. We're told this happens in the days when the judges ruled. That would have rung lots of bells for the Israelites. That was a dark time. They continuously got captured by various nations. They were besieged. They suffered. They experienced pain and loss. At the end of the book of Judges, we're told that the period of the Judges was a time when everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Everyone was out for themselves. Everyone was looking out for themselves, defending themselves. And so the nation was in chaos, suffering and pain everywhere. And it's worse than that because at this particular point, there was a famine in the land. UK food prices are going through the roof. We hear about it every week. People in this country are struggling to eat, eating less than they're able or things, eating different things from what they used to eat. As an aside, that's why we passionately believe in the work of Christians against poverty and food banks. We think that's an important thing as a church to be a part of. It's worth noting the famine that they are facing is a lot worse than anything we are facing. You see, they had nothing pretty much to eat. And there's a kind of dark irony to that because it zooms in on a place called Bethlehem. Bethlehem means the house of bread. And so what are we learning? In the house of bread, the place where God provides food, there is no food. There is nothing to eat. Almost certainly because the nation have turned their back on God. In Deuteronomy, they were warned that if they turned their back on the Lord, the Lord would bring various curses upon them, and one of them was a famine. And so as the people as a whole turn their back on the Lord, he has sent this famine upon them. We zoom in on this one family. What's their response to the, fam- to the famine? Well, they went to live for a while in the country of Moab. That's not explicitly condemned. You know, on the surface, that might seem quite wise. Well, they're going to somewhere where there is food. So they're protecting their family. Not explicitly condemned, but alarm bells should be ringing because Moab isn't a great place. It's a place that worships other gods, that is at enmity with the nation of Israel quite a lot. They go there as a family, uh, Elimelech the husband, Naomi uh, the spouse, and their two kids, Marlon and Kilion. And then verse 3, just so abruptly, now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. Not told how. There's no kind of, Elimelech got ill and they tried to help, and over a period of time he just got worse and worse, and eventually he passed away. Now Elimelech died. Just like that. That must have been incredibly hard for Naomi. But then her, her, her sons marry. They marry Moabite women, which again should be an alarm bell for us because God's people were not to marry those who worship other gods. They were supposed to go uh, to Moab for a while, verse 1. Verse 4, they lived there 10 years. This brief trip to get food has turned into a new life for them. And that life is about to get a whole load worse. 
Because verse 5, after those 10 years, both Marlon and Kilion also died. Again, just so abrupt, so brutal, so painful. And literally, the end of verse 5 reads, the woman was left without her sons and her husband. Nameless. Because in that culture, to lose your husband and your two sons means you have no kind of status anymore, no protection, no provision. Naomi is in real trouble. This is tragic for her. I want to imagine the modern-day Naomi walking in through those doors. In a land that isn't her own, having experienced tragedy after tragedy, triply grieving with no income. You'd sit and weep with her, wouldn't you? This is brutal. And that's the backdrop. It's bad enough now. It was worse then when there was no state to help look after her. And it's in the darkness of this situation, in this family's darkness, that God chooses to show kindness. See, verse 6, we find out that Naomi hears that the Lord has come to the aid of his people. wonder how she heard. No WhatsApps, no emails. How does she know that something has changed in Israel? We don't know, but she has. And so, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. I want you to put yourself in Naomi's shoes as they're walking along that road back to Bethlehem. I wonder what feelings are going through her heart. Fear, doubt, uncertainty, anxiety. What am I going to find when I get there? I mean, for a start, one of two things must have happened when Naomi left. Either she sold her house, and so she's got nowhere to go back to live, or she left it, in which case she has no idea whether it's been taken by someone else, whether it's now derelict. We have, they don't know where they're going to live. And then there's Ruth and Orpah. What is going through their minds? At least for Naomi, she's going back to somewhere she knew. Ruth and Orpah have never been to Bethlehem before. It's not like Naomi could show them some pictures of where they're moving to before they got on the road. What's going through their hearts? What are they leaving behind? They're leaving everything behind. Their family, their friends they've had since childhood. Everything. And then partway along the road, Naomi speaks. And she says, verse 8, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. She's saying, don't burden yourself by coming and looking after me. Go back home. It's hard to know if that's a kind of kind and selfless act on the part of Naomi, not wanting to burden others, or whether actually this is part of her lack of trust in the Lord, trying to send people back to foreign gods. We just don't know. But in response to this, both Ruth and Orpah say, no, we're sticking with you. And so Naomi tries again. And this time she appeals to logic. She kind of explains why it would be so much better for them to go home. See, she knows that if Ruth and Orpah come to Bethlehem, there's going to be no one there who's going to marry them. And so, the only chance they've got of a husband and a family is if she, Naomi, is able to have children. Now, we don't know how old Naomi is at this point. She's probably 30s, 40s, 50s, that kind of age. She's saying, I've got to get back. I've got to find a husband. Even if I find a husband straight away and have children straight away, You've then got to wait for those children to grow up to become your husbands. That is a pretty long wait with a lot of uncertainty along the way. 
it's worth saying that there's a danger of reading that and going, okay, so Naomi thinks that the only blessing, the only thing that really matters is finding a spouse, that that is what life is all about. That isn't what's going on, and that isn't what the Bible says about life. But in this culture, it is particularly significant for widowed women to find a husband because they have no other source of protection or income. She appeals to them to go back. It's as if she's kind of saying to them, if you stay with me, more bad stuff will happen. You get to the end of verse 13, it is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. It's almost as if she's saying, if you're with me, you're going to get the Lord's curses because he has cursed me. Everyone who comes near me dies. So flee from me. I'm the problem. Go back to your homeland and maybe God will show you some kindness there rather than what he seems to be showing me. That works on Orpah. Orpah goes back, but not Ruth. See, what Ruth does is at the heart of this story. Verse 14 Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Ruth clung to Naomi. And that word is the same word that is used in one of the most significant passages in the Bible about marriage in Genesis 2. In Genesis 2, as marriage is first instituted, we're told, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast, or more literally, cling to his wife. This is the marriage word. And Ruth is saying, husbands, not so worried about them. I'm committed to you, Naomi. I'm going where you go. Why would she do that? Why is she so committed to this woman whose life is so hard, this woman to whom she's not related by blood? Why would she do it? Verses 16 to 17 tell us why. Five glorious sentences that spill out of Ruth's mouth. The outer ones kind of speak about separation. So don't urge me to leave or turn back from you. I won't separate from you. The last one, may the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you from me. I'm not going to separate myself from you, the outer two say. Then you come in a level, and they talk about the kind of positive flip side, staying with her. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. And then verse 17, where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. I'm not separating from you. I'm sticking close to you. I'm going with you. Why? Well, it's as if those were the kind of bread and the butter of the sandwich, pointing us to the filling, and here's the filling. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Ruth identifies with Naomi and her God. And because of that, she goes with Naomi. We don't know when it is that Ruth came to faith in this God. Was it before she married was it when her husband was alive? Was it after her husband died? We don't know. All we know is this woman who grew up knowing another God, who is no God at all, came to worship the true God and decided that despite all of the hardship that she has seen come upon this family, that this God is the God to stick with. And so because she wants to stick with that God, She's going to stick to the one, with the one who introduced her to that God. Naomi and her family were the ones who showed Ruth the God of the Bible. And so she sticks with them. That meant Ruth had to give up an awful lot. 
She had to leave and go to a country that wasn't her own, saying goodbye to her friends and her family and her community and all of the culture she'd grown up experiencing. And on the surface, she doesn't gain particularly much, does she? She gains a burden in Naomi. But that is because she so now identifies with God that she's willing to bear whatever cost that takes. She is clinging to Naomi because she clings to the Lord. And so she clings to his people. And that's faith, isn't it? Clinging to the Lord and his people, regardless of what it costs us. For many, coming to the Lord means great cost. It means giving up significant things. And on the surface, it might not look like it gains very much. But as people come to know the Lord, as each of us come to know the Lord, we realize that our primary identity is no longer in the things of this world, but they're in him. We primarily identify with him. Our culture is obsessed with identity, obsessed with trying to find and create their own identity. Ruth has found her identity in the God of Israel. You are my God, and so your people are my people. This is my primary identity now. And so I'm going with and I'm clinging regardless of what it costs me. In a sense, baptism is a picture of what Ruth does here. In a sense, Isabel this morning has said words similar to this. I am committing myself to this God. I am identifying with him and with his people. You're my people now. God is my God. And so I'm identifying with them whatever it costs me. Why would someone do that? Well, the reason Isabel's told us why she did that, because she's come to know Jesus as her saviour. She's come to know that Jesus, who was in heaven, the Son of God, came to earth as a man, lived a perfect life, and then went to a cross, dying a death that each of us deserve for the way that we reject him, and then rising out of the grave to save us. Isabel wants to be identified with that God. If you're not yet identified with that God, do you want to be? Is that the kind of God you want to follow? It's a joy to follow him. It's a joy to identify with him. It's a joy to cling to him, even when it's hard. Ruth shows us clinging to the Lord. That is why Ruth goes with Naomi, because she's come to know Naomi's God. And so they walk along the road together and they approach Bethlehem and eventually they get there. And when they arrive, the town is abuzz with chatter, verse 19. Can this be, Naomi, they ask? Can this be? Maybe it's that they didn't recognize her. I mean, Naomi's gone through a lot of pretty tough stuff in the last decade or so. Maybe it's really aged her and they just physically don't recognize it. Are you sure? That's not what she looked like when she left. She's lost an awful lot of weight with all the stress. Or maybe they're just surprised to see her back again. Maybe they just really weren't expecting it. What's Naomi's response to that? She says, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. Because the Lord, the Almighty, has made my life very bitter. Another wordplay going on because Naomi's name literally means pleasant. The footnote tells us that. And it said she wants her name changed to bitter. 
Because in that culture, names mean an awful lot. And she is saying, my life's not pleasant. My life's not good. My life's not easy. My life is bitter. Because the Almighty has made it so. And it's hard to know with these words, isn't it? Are these words sin? Are they wrong? She seems to be directly accusing the Lord and saying some pretty strange things about him. But then at the same time, her words sound an awful lot like the words that Job spoke. And Job wasn't condemned for the way that he spoke to the Lord. Hard to know. She seems to have a a good grasp that God is in charge, but seems to be blind to his kindness to her. She utters these words, I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. I want you to imagine this a bit like a film scene. So you imagine the film scene that the, the camera is zoomed in on Naomi. She says these words, I went away full, implication, I had a husband and two sons, and I came back empty. And then the camera just pans a few degrees to her right, I reckon Ruth's faith is like at that point. What do you reckon? Empty. I mean, come on. I've literally given up everything to look after you. Naomi misses it. She misses that God is being kind to her. God is showing her kindness by giving her Ruth. Ruth is a channel of God's kindness to her. All she sees is the Lord's unkindness to her, the tough circumstances. But God is at work. He is showing her kindness. He has given her Ruth. And then our chapter ends on just a little hint of grace because they arrive in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. Food to eat. And next week we'll see it's a whole load more than that as well. So why is Ruth in our Bibles? It's a question we started with. It's there to teach us what God is doing in the day-to-day of life. When our life circumstances feel like they're against us, either in minor ways or in fairly major ways like Naomi faced, Ruth helps show us what the reaction is to be, doesn't it? Don't turn from the Lord. Cling to him. Look past your circumstances to see the ways that God is at work being kind to you, even when you can't necessarily see it. Because he is doing that. He's often doing it through people. Ruth, I think, is also a picture for us of the cost of clinging to the Lord. You see, for Ruth, the cost was huge. She had to give up everything to follow the Lord. Jesus speaks of the cost of following him in terms of taking up our cross, which means accepting that in this world we'll face shame and ridicule and rejection. Following Jesus may mean having a cost like Ruth had. For Ruth, she was taking a huge risk that she would never have a family again. For some of us, that might be the cost of following Jesus. Because being faithful to the Lord just means there are fewer people to marry. For others, following the Lord means giving up the community they grew up in. Particularly if you come to know the Lord from a different religion, there is a huge risk that you will be shunned by all those you grew up knowing. 
That was Ruth's experience, we imagine. Ruth the Moabite. Ruth, who, whose family worshipped the god Chemosh. Can't imagine they were particularly happy at this. You're going to live in that other country because you believe in this different god now. We don't want anything to do with you. I wonder if those are the conversations Ruth had to experience before she left. Following Jesus for everyone means giving things up. The apostle Peter and Jesus are talking at one point in the Gospels. And Peter says, Lord, we've given up everything to follow you. Jesus replied, truly I tell you, no one who's left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the Gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. A hundred times as much. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and fields along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. What's Jesus talking about? No one gives up their home for the sake of Jesus and suddenly ends up with a hundred different houses. He's talking about the church, isn't he? Those who give up for the sake of Jesus, those who give up things to follow him, receive a hundredfold, because they become part of a new family. If they give up family, they become part of a new family where they have loads of spiritual mothers and fathers, spiritual children, spiritual siblings, homes they can go into whenever they need to. They become part of a new community to replace the one that shunned them. See, those who cling to Jesus, who follow him whatever the cost, will never be left empty. Why? Because his people will be their people because his God is their God. Let me lead us in a prayer. Our Father in heaven, we praise you that you are at work. You are at work showing kindness to people who cling to you. Father, help us to cling to you, whatever the cost of that is, knowing that you don't leave us empty because you give us your people through whom you show us incredible kindness. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.